You're listening to the Worldwide Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Jazz O'Hara, and together with some very special guests, we'll be taking you on a journey across the world without you having to go anywhere. We're here to amplify voices, from the people leaving their countries and everything behind them, to the volunteers working alongside them. We'll be hearing from those currently living in refugee camps and people working on the front line, the real heroes of today, the humans behind the statistics and the headlines. Join me as we transcend borders, nationalities, religions and languages to hear from the people with which we share this world, our worldwide tribe. So, less than two weeks ago, on the 23rd of October, I'm sure you heard the horrible news about 39 people found dead inside a refrigerated lorry in Essex. This news felt very close to home for me, and it made me think about all the people that I've met who came to the UK the very same way, and how narrowly they escaped this same fate. But in the years that I've been spending time in camps in Europe with people attempting this journey, I've never met anyone from Vietnam, so I was really surprised to learn that these 39 people were all Vietnamese, and it left me with a lot of questions. Then I remembered a boy who came to our house more than three years ago with his foster carer who knew my mum. He was at college with my Afghan foster brother, Arash, as well, and his name was Nyet Ang. He didn't really speak any English, so I remember we played table tennis in the garden. His foster carer, Jessica, told us that he'd been trafficked here from Vietnam, but otherwise we didn't really know anything about his story or what had happened to him, and I didn't see him again for years. But after what happened in Essex, I got his number from Jessica and I called him. Firstly, I was amazed by his English, but also his courage to want to share his story for the first time. You'll see why he's so brave to do so and also why he feels it's so important, now more than ever. His story absolutely blew my mind and it answered a lot of questions for me about what might have happened to these 39 people. I hope it does the same for you and that you find this useful. Also, just to note, when he says the word debtor, he's referring to someone his family owes money to. Well, it's so great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me today. So pleased to be here with you to, to answer all the questions. Yes, and I have a lot of questions, but best to start from the very beginning. So how old were you when you left Vietnam? Uh, I'm 21 now, 16 yeah, quite young when I left my country. So young. Yeah. What was the reason why you left in the first place? That's going to be a long story if I tell you, but I'm facing a really, really big fears in Vietnam with the debtor that my 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 parents had all the money from them. So that the main reason, the big yeah, the big reason that I left my country. So your mum and dad, they owed some money yes. to some people? Yeah. Okay, and they would come to you to get yeah. that money? They would come to me to um, kidnap me, to make my parents to, to pay the money for them. Got you. Yeah. Your life in, in Vietnam until you were 16, yeah. what was that like? A good life. Yeah, a good life. I could go to school, like all my friends, my parents... They got money because they um, they got their own business. 
that's the reason why they got into the order dev and stuff. Unlucky that they got into dev. But I have I had really, really good life in Vietnam and then and from that day I just realized that I got in a big trouble and I got to to live. Yeah. But you had a, a loving family yeah. and two sisters, you said. Three sisters. Three sisters. Yeah. You're the only boy. So basically your parents got involved with some bad people who were yeah. then targeting you yeah. and forced you yeah. to leave. Yeah, that's the most difficult decision that I made ever. But I had to. I had to make it. I have no choice. My parents been hiding for a while and my grandmom cannot take care of me anymore. If I stay, it's just not just me. Could be my parent, my grandmom, my sister. So it's better for me to just live. So basically you left to keep your whole family safe. Yes, yeah. Keep myself safe first because I'm the the only one boys in the house and they they target me they target they were targeting me my grandmom worry about that yeah so my grandmom decided to let me go i think a lot of people in the uk they think of vietnam as a holiday destination you know i've been there to travel yeah it is but dip somewhere you know somewhere you can't see poor people they live a horrible life vietnam is a beautiful country but you will not see what in what it inside. Yeah, I guess there's all of these things going on that you don't hear about in the news or you don't know about. And as a backpacker or a traveler, you don't see. Yeah, either. you don't see it. Yeah. And so, did you not have to pay people, traffickers or smugglers, to leave Vietnam? No, um, because like the debtor always come to my house to threaten my grandma to um, try to kidnap me. So my grandmom decided to try to find some somewhere for me to go, you know, to avoid all the debtor. And then she got into uh, a trap with the trafficker. They say they will bring bring me out of the country, not specifically UK, mm -hmm. but they will bring me somewhere safe. Yeah, and then uh, they will uh, they will offer me a job something to um for me to stay in that country but my grandma don't have to pay for that they say when they got me a job i will pay them back when i got a job and i get my money or the salary i will pay them i can pay them back later mm -hmm. and then yeah they and then they brought me all the way to to the uk so niet ang left vietnam because he feared for his life at the hands of these debt collectors But I was also interested in the other people he met along the way, making the journey from Vietnam to the UK. Do you think some people actually chose to come to England hoping that they would be able to have a better life than in Vietnam um, and that they were promised things that maybe weren't true um, and paid money to, to make this journey out of choice? Or do you think most people were fleeing something scary? Yeah, yeah I think the most of them, they got a fear in in Vietnam they decided to go and then they got in a trap because everyone here yeah, they got in the trap of the trafficker yeah, they promise you something and then you get in debt and then yeah. you're trapped yeah. to them yeah 
And those traffickers, they basically find people that are vulnerable, that are, that are, are scared of something or yeah. someone in Vietnam, and yes. they say, okay, we can help you leave. Yes. Okay, that, that makes sense to me. I get yeah. that. So give me an example of, in those people that were there with you, what kind of things have happened to them in Vietnam to make them vulnerable in the first place? Like, for example, with your parents, uh, you don't have to talk about it in yeah. specifically, but I just want to understand how that first happens. If you're a family in Vietnam, how do you first get tied up or caught up with these bad people? I, I know one one person, he have a different reason not about like the debtor like, as me uh, as me but about the religions so he he fight for that he he was fighting for for his religion and then um he got trouble got trouble in trouble with the government and then he he decided to go to leave the country got you yeah. okay so it could be religious reasons and maybe yeah. political reasons as well yeah political reason as well so yeah, few of them But the 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 main reason is to trafficker try to trap people, yeah, who vulnerable like like me at the t- time, yeah. That's the two reasons that I know. But there's a hundred people in different situation circumstances. But for me, I, I know that two reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about the journey. I've spoken to people who have crossed Turkey to Greece in those rubber boats that we've seen on the news yeah. and they've crossed hiding underneath the Eurotunnel train or in the back of lorries and the whole journey is pretty crazy. What was your journey like from Vietnam to here? So they brought me a um, passport to uh, leave my country. So uh, you didn't have a passport before that? No. So they bought me a passport and... A ticket, flight ticket to Rus- Russia, and then I f- I flew to Russia, and there there was a a man who met me at the airport, and he he brought me to a van, and brought me into a back of a van, and he drove me very far of the city in in a rural village. There was a house there. They have quite a few Vietnamese people there as well, and I thought that we the um, did a destination that I I'll, I'll live there with that with those all Vietnamese people and walk there, but no, that's just a a stop to get to the next the next stop. So I stay I stay there for quite a few days, and then again they put me into back a, a van. The journey was about seven hours. It took me to Ukraine, and then in the Ukraine as well, there was a house in a in a rural village as well. And then I had to stay there for about a month. And then after that, they brought us to back in the van as well to go to Poland, and then from Poland. Stay in Poland for about a few days, and then again in a van to France. In France, they put us to the jungle. It was Dunkirk in France. Dunkirk. Yeah. Yeah. So um, where all the uh, the camps and different people mm-hmm. from different country around the world 
There was a camp of Vietnamese people there, trafficker there. They forced us to stay in the camp, not allowed to go out of the jungle, not allowed to go out of the camp, not allowed to use phone, not allowed to talk to any people around the camp, just stay there. And so when volunteers came from England or from France, you couldn't talk to them? No. I, I can see different people, they, they can go out, but the Vietnamese people cannot go out. We stay there. They come to supply food. We cook inside, stay there. And when they say, tonight we'll go, and we go, they put us into the back, uh, into the back of the lorry, like a big, big lorry, then completely dark inside. Every day, every night, we have to jump back into a lorry. But my journey was just one time. They put me into a lorry and I make it through. Wow, okay, so they put you into the back of a lorry from Dunkirk and the first time you made it to England, you yeah. didn't have to keep trying and you didn't yeah. get caught. Yeah, I was lucky. First time I, I, I make it to, but you know, you can't imagine how hard the time that I live in France. Couldn't take sour. Don't have much food to eat. Don't have enough food to eat. And yeah. How long were you there for? A month. Yeah. Wow. So how long was your whole journey from Vietnam to the UK? I can't remember exactly, but I live country in May of um, 2014. Mm -hmm. I got here 28th of August, about three months. Wow. And I know what the conditions are like in Dunkirk because I've been to that camp many yeah. times. But how were the conditions along the way in Poland and in Russia and in Ukraine? They're the same, you know, same condition. We're not allowed to go out. We're not allowed to talk to each other. We're not allowed to um, use phone. Yeah, just sit there and just wait for the van. And you didn't know where you were going next? No, have no idea, have no clue where is the, the next stop, is the next destination. Did you feel like the smugglers were looking after you, like they brought you no, food and they... No, At first, in Russia, I feel like they're going to help me. But then further, further, they sold that violence and bad behaviour. They threaten every day. Okay, so the further away you get from home and yeah. the more you're yeah. into the journey, yeah. the more, I guess, you're indebted yeah. to them. And yeah, at France, they tell me straight away, now you're here, you have to work for, for me to pay the debt. You can't go back to the country. You have to listen to me. When you get there, the UK, and now I, I, from France, I know that the next destination will be the UK. You have to work for me. You have to pay the debt. Or otherwise, you and your grandma will die. That's it. That's what they say. They say with my grandma that well, that massive, massive amount of money, and I have to stay there in the UK, work for them. For, I don't know for how long, but yeah, that was that was very very hard time for me, you know. Then at, at the end of the journey, I found that oh no, I'm not, I'm not gonna work. Um, will be you know more dangerous than 
there was I was in Vietnam. How did you feel on that journey? Miserable. I've, I was 16 at that time, just crying all the time. But, you know, can't do anything, cannot do anything, can't speak the language, can't speak to all the Vietnamese as well. So they stop you from talking amongst each other? Yeah. You didn't make so, friends with people? And- no. How do they stop that? If they, they stop, they they force us to not speak to each other. But when they when they left, we can speak. But they don't want you talking about who's paid, yeah, who how, pays, much, how much, or much yeah. But we just you know talk and make each other feel better. We can't do anything else, you know. Yeah, keep as each other as positive as possible. Yeah, yeah. support each other. Give thinking positive, yeah. Do you think that most people were in a similar situation to you? All the same, all the same. Because they were young, like me, yeah. 16, 17, 18, yeah. Can we stop? We took a moment here to pause before continuing on to the next bit of the journey. Okay, so we got to the point in the story where you were crossing from Dunkirk to the UK in the back of a lorry. Yep. And that brings us to the reason why we're here today, because the reason why I wanted to interview you and talk to you about this story is because of what happened in Essex last week. 39 people found in a lorry. Yeah. For me, it just even talking about it makes me feel sick. It's just a complete tragedy. I'm interested how it made you feel to read that news. I I was shocked when I first heard the news. I know that all all the people on that lorry from my country, because I I was in the same situation that I sat in lorry as well. So when I heard the news, I I can feel that I thought that they were all Vietnamese. At first, they thought they were Chinese, didn't they? Yeah. When I heard on the news, they say they say Chinese. I know that that all Vietnamese because Chinese not come here by that way so as i know that quite a lot of vietnamese people were waiting to get into the country in france and, and in belgium and when they say the lorry came from belgium i know that's the vietnamese i was shocked as well because i've spent a lot of time in calais and a lot of time in dunkirk and yeah. belgium and paris working with refugees in europe yeah but i've never met anyone vietnamese i've met syrians and sudanese and eritreans and afghans and kurds and now I understand that, like you say, that they're more hidden. That yeah. It sounds like the smugglers were much more controlling when it came to not allowing you to yeah. talk to volunteers or go out from the camp. And yeah. that makes sense to me that yeah. it's more they, hidden. They're not going to bring us out on the street or let us talk to people like that. So if they do that, they will get caught. So they're not going to do that. Were the smugglers Vietnamese? Yeah, yeah. I wonder what will happen now, whether smugglers will be caught and people will go to prison because of what's happened in Essex. I hope so. I hope that it means that they do some more investigation into these smuggling groups. Hopefully, they will sort it out soon. So you arrived in the UK, first time successfully in the back of the lorry. And it wasn't a refrigerated lorry for you, was it? It was. It was. Yeah. But on that day, they don't turn their face on. But... That lorry is, you know, completely 
um, how to say that? Um, sealed. Yeah, sealed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were out of breath as well. 35 people. You were what, did you say? Out of breath. Really? So you could feel that there was not enough oxygen or air? So if the police came late, about 10 minutes, we all die. Really? Yeah. So you also felt short of breath? Yeah, so that's why I have the same feeling with the 39 people in that lorry. So that's why I feel shocked. And that brings all the memory back to me on that day. So we got into the lorry about three o'clock in the morning and then the lorry start running about six o'clock after about four hours 11 o'clock in here the lorry arrived in the uk we were screaming bang on the door bang on the, the lorry to let the the driver know and the driver didn't stop after that people they scream too much they out breath because there's no oxygen in the lorry because that enough for 35 people for about two hours. Oh my God. Yeah, we screaming about 10 minutes and then we out of breath. The driver keep, keep driving, keep driving. Later I know that he called the police to drive to the, the nearest service. At that time, I was passed out. I really, passed out. completely passed out. Completely passed out because all the people around me all passed out, and then the police opened the back of the lorry. Oh, you can you, you you can imagine if that day the police came late, we would all die exactly the same with thirty nine people in Essex. Oh my God! So there was thirty five of you in 35. the lorry. Thirty five. If they put five ten people in the lorry, enough for about. Five ten hours. Yeah, because you need air. Yeah, there's no air, no oxygen in that in the lorry. So, thirty five or thirty nine. That too many people on that lorry. Because all people all breathing. So, thirty nine too many and thirty five as well. But we a bit lucky that the police came very quick. And the drivers stop right at the time. Do you think the driver knew that you were in there? Yeah. Before you were banging and shouting, he knew the whole time? I don't know. I don't know at all. So the police came, they opened the doors, and then did you come awake again? Did you... Uh... Yeah. Well, that, you know, the oxygen is in... Can you get into um, the lorry and I wake up? Yeah, all the ambulance and police around... They brought me into um, a police station, I think. Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly. But I, because after that, I'm completely tired and panicked. I was really panicked and, and I, I couldn't think anything. Yeah. I can imagine that you just needed to sleep and yeah. to recover. This next part of Nia Ang's journey really shocked me. I had no idea that this was going on here in England. So then how did the smugglers find you again in the UK once you'd got to the UK to, to make you repay them? Okay, so after leaving the police station, they brought me into a care home in Kent. I stayed there for one night, two nights, and then I borrowed a iPad from the lady there to go on Facebook. 
right this time I go on um, go on Facebook someone texts me tell me that I need to leave that that place they will come to get me otherwise if they can find me in this country they're gonna kill me or they're gonna kill my grandma back home you know it's like really 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 scared really scared because at that time I don't know anything about care home I don't know anything about foster family don't don't know that because no one explained that to me and then they they come to to pick me up and then they drive me to a house I don't know where but then, then I stay there for quite a long time without job I'm not allowed to go out not allowed to use phone. So the nothing. smugglers came to your foster home, foster home, took you from there, and yeah. then took you to this house, which was basically like a prison. Yeah, like a prison. And from there, I stayed there for quite a few months. And then one night, they came and they told me that they found me a job, and I got to live now. I got to um, go to the workplace now. And then they brought me to a van in the back of the van and they drive me to really really old farm and they took me to a warehouse there and they opened the opened the gate get they brought me into the warehouse as i know that's now the cannabis farm they forced me to stay there they threw me some food and they they taught me how to uh, look after the plan and they left they locked all the door locked all the window and left Yet Ang was locked inside this cannabis farm in the middle of nowhere on his own I was really really scared screaming all that all night and the next day they came they bring me some more food and they asked me did I do all the work that they asked me to do but I didn't do anything because I was really scared and I don't know, I didn't know how to do it. And they started beating me. Very, very bad. And then they left me. After that day, they came again, beat me again. That time was horrible. They beat me nearly dead. I lay down on the floor for nearly two days. Two days later, I decided to escape. And I escaped from there. Wow. So you escaped from there and yeah. then went to the police? Yeah, and the poli- I went to the police. When I got out of the, the warehouse, I just kept running through the night. When I woke up, I was in front of a supermarket. I asked people on the street to call the police for me. Did you speak enough English? No, I just said, help me. Help me. And... A homeless person brought me into a, um, what's that called? The, f- the phone box. Yeah. And called the police for me. And the police came and they brought me to the police station, asked all the, the questions, what happening. And, and then they took me to Ken from there. To Jessica. Yeah, to <laughs> Jessica. But Nietang, you must have been so scared that the smugglers would find you again, yeah, right? Yeah. How long did that fear last? After two years. 
when I feel that I stay far away from them, I I force myself to think positive thing that they're not around here. This is far, far from where I was. I force myself don't think about it anymore. Don't think about it because now you safe. And now you got college, you got friend, you got foster family. Don't think about it anymore. That make me feel better. Or otherwise, I I I live with all the fear for almost two years. Since I escaped the the farm, the warehouse. After that, I got all the work to need to be done as college, and I try hard to get myself out of there. Yeah, it took me two years to get all conf- confident back again. Yeah, I can imagine. Did they yeah. ever try and find you again? No. And they didn't contact you on Facebook or anything? No, because I, I decided to delete all the Facebook and now I didn't use social media since then. Yeah, I guess you've changed a lot since then as well. Yeah. Physically, you've grown up and hopefully yeah. they wouldn't know you or recognise you. No, hopefully not. Wow, what a story. I can't believe it. I mean, you're a hero that you actually escaped and that you started a new life. Yeah. Everyone would do that. Everyone would do that. I don't know. Yeah. It's pretty brave. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty brave. So you stayed with Jessica for a couple of years. You went to college. You learned English. I couldn't believe it when we spoke on the phone the other day because last time I saw you, you spoke very little English. Of course, it was early days still. Yeah. But yeah, I'm amazed. So congratulations for that. Because oh, thank you. you really yeah. should be proud of yourself. Yeah. What you've achieved. We're in this beautiful apartment. You've got a job. Let's talk a little bit about that. What are you doing now? What's your life like now? Um, now, I am a manager of a salon. The hairdresser, barbers and nails. I, at the reception. I take care of all the customer service, speak with the customer on the phone, book an appointment. A quite good job and really enjoy it. And everyone in your salon is Vietnamese, right? Yeah, they're Vietnamese. They're all Vietnamese. This is something that I wanted to talk to you about because when I was doing some research, I learned that there are a lot of Vietnamese people working in nail bars, and I see it as well. I live in Peckham yeah. in London. There's many nail bars in Peckham that yeah. all Vietnamese run and yes. all Vietnamese working there. Yeah. But I was also worried that maybe that was still for some people part of like a forced labour. No. That's wrong, completely wrong. Okay. That would be bad effect to all the nails by in this country. That's really yeah. good to know. They try hard to get a better business. And I know because I, I in the Vietnamese community in here, all the nail bar, they don't force anyone to do the job. We do the job, we get paid. I've been working quite a few nail bar. Everyone get paid at the end of the week. I've then the mum and they treat all the staff very well. So when they say on the news that victim trafficker, they have to work in the nail bar, that's wrong. The nail bar is legally. Got you. Yeah. So the nail bar, when they hire people, they need to people have all the legal paper everything or document mm-hmm. everything so it is not thing about the force people to work in the nail bar 
That's very good that, to know. Yeah. I guess for people in the UK, that's often what's visible. They see, okay, Vietnamese people, we know that they work in nail bars, but what they're not seeing is the cannabis farms yeah. and the brothels and the other forced labor that yeah. is happening, right? Yeah. So you, to put the record straight, I guess, for people who are coming here and forced to work, for men, it's often cannabis farms. Yes. And for women, it's often into the sex trade, right? Sex trade, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good yeah. to put that out there so that yeah. people still go... Keep going to those nail bars, support yeah. Vietnamese-run yeah. nail bars. When they found anyone in the nail bar that worked illegally, the, the owner will face a fine. They can go to, jail, go to jail for that. So no one... No one's going to risk it. Risk it, or no one dare to hire people without a legal document. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense because it's so obvious, you know, it's on yeah. the high street. Yeah, I think that I need to tell this because now... A lot of people think that nail bar really bad. Yeah, nail bar is something underground. No, nail bar is just normal. Good. Normal. Okay, that's really good to know. So, life in England, you've been here for a few years now. Yeah. And you went to college with my little brother Arash. Yeah. How has it been for you to integrate here? Have people been friendly and open and welcoming to you or have you had bad experiences as well? No, not at all. Not bad experience. That makes me think positive. If I have bad experience about racism or anything, I would not be my at the moment. Been supporting a lot. Everyone supported me. When I go out there, people very friendly. And when I go to college... A lot of people help me. They try their their best to to teach me how to speak English. A lot of people. Good. Yeah. Well, you know what, Nyet Ang, I think that that's also because of you, because I think that you give a very good energy and that you get back what you put out there. So you've been open to people and they've been open to you. And that's why you're where you are now. Yeah. Which is, I have to say, like a beautiful situation, a beautiful apartment in a nice, quiet street. And it's it's lovely. And I'm really amazed that, yeah, you've turned your life around so much in the last yeah. few years. It's really, really incredible. Thank you. I asked Netang about his family and whether they knew that he was safe now. I don't know what happened with them and where they, where they are now. So you don't have contact with your parents no, anymore? No. Oh, that must be difficult. Yeah. Would it have been dangerous for you to stay in contact with them throughout this time since you've left? Yes, that's my fear. I think that can be dangerous for me and for them as well. Because the debtors, they're looking for me and my parents. So at the moment, I think I'm not going to do that because just be safe myself and to keep my parents safe as well. If they can find out where my parents home, they may be going to get them. And yeah, I don't know what happened then, but for sure I'm better not doing anything. I can't do anything. I can't go back to my country, so better to not do anything. So basically in trying to find them, it could be risky. Yeah. Hopefully, bring across, they, they're safe now somewhere. In this war, hope they still alive. They're safe, yeah. yeah they're I safe. hope so too. Yeah. So I guess that's a good plan. You get everything straight here. You yeah. get your life sorted. You get a job and a house, and then you can go about looking at where they are and how they are. I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that my plan? I'm trying to settle down myself in here to keep myself safe for now, 
and then you know go back to find my parents and sister. You think you'll go back to Vietnam to find them one day? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah. Do you think that they're still in Vietnam? I don't know, but my grandmom, she definitely in Vietnam with my sister. She can't go anywhere. She's too old. She might know where my parents are. Yeah, I think I can find my parents through my, my, my grandmom. But now I can't because I can't go back to my country to get all the information from my, my grandmom. I don't want to talk on her phone, to, you know, to call her when I be able to come back to my country. Go straight to my grandmom's, ask her. That's what I do. Yeah, but not now. But how do you feel about that, about all this time not speaking to them? I've been to that quite a long time, for three years here. Didn't get any con- in touch with my family, my parents, my sister, my grandmom. That's hard. But after all that long time, I'm now settled down. Sometimes, you know, that the story came off really sad, really upset about that. But, you know, I got to I go to that all, all sad things to get me to here. Yeah, so when you think about it too much, it gets you sad, but day to day you can yeah. kind of get on with your life. Yeah. I think I will find them. I'll find them out one day. I think that they still somewhere. And just imagine how incredible that reunion will be when you all meet again. Yeah. It will be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but this country is like a big support. They trying. The government is helping a lot. So I really appreciate that. If I don't have the government support me, I am not here today. I really appreciate that. And all my fans appreciate this country. England is like my second country. So that makes me really positive thinking. Very happy to hear that because lots of people have negative things to say about the immigration process. And yeah. I know that it is difficult, but I'm happy yeah. to hear that in your case, you've been granted asylum and that you have your papers because you deserve them and you yeah. deserve to be here and you yeah. deserve to live here and you deserve to have a safe life yeah. and a future. Yeah. Well, Nyet Ang, I appreciate you so much for telling me your story today. My pleasure. You know, if I can help, if my story help to raise awareness or to help people out there, I definitely will do. These people look at us and don't understand about us. So I, don't, I don't want that. I hope to speak with you. I, I to let people know that people like us, victim of trafficker, everyone came here with a reason. So treat us like normal and understand us more which is not about asylum seeker we are asylum seeker but we're not as bad as people think everyone had a different circumstances they're not here for money definitely there's a story right everyone yeah, has a story everyone has a story and if we make sure that we remember that, then we can have compassion to each and every individual yeah. who has their own reason for yeah. doing this journey. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Nia Ang's incredible story. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of season two. If so, please subscribe and leave a review. It will really help me to keep bringing you more stories like this. I'm really excited for this next season and I've got some amazing guests lined up. 
I'd also love to know your thoughts and what you'd like to hear more of. So to let me know, head over to our Instagram account at the Worldwide Tribe. Follow and leave me a comment or direct message. It's also November, so Christmas is only around the corner and we have some amazing options for sustainable and conscious presents supporting refugees at our shop, which you can find at theworldwidetribe.com. The more people who come on this journey with us, the more connected we all become and the more we unite as one worldwide tribe. Big thanks to Alexander Wells for composing our original music and mixing this episode.